1: Hey, thanks for joining us. I'm Charlie Arnott with Look East and the Center for Food Integrity, and I've dedicated my career to making food trustworthy.
2: I'm Susan Schwally, president of the Food and Beverage Practice at the MPD Group. I'm fascinated by why people eat and drink what they do.
3: And I'm Kevin Ryan, your resident food nerd and founder of Malachite Strategy and Research. I've developed innovation and strategy for dozens of CPG
1: brands from Annie's to Old El Paso. And we are the Three Squares, dishing on the food industry, uncovering the interesting stories in food and talking to today's movers and shakers.
2: Today, we are joined by Crystal Register of FMI.
1: But first, let's get into some appetizing discussion. Here's what's on the menu. Okay, guys, on the menu this week for this episode, let's talk a little bit about my least favorite holiday of the entire year, Daylight Savings Time. Does anybody else despise Daylight Savings Time? Yes, very much so.
2: People have heart attacks on the following Monday because it's so stressful on our bodies.
1: And I heard it was there was one guy in Europe who came up with the idea because he wanted an extra hour to play golf. Don't know if that's true. But We can can look. It was on Facebook. It must be true. Right. That would do it. So what's interesting about that is is everybody needs a little extra jolt after Daylight Savings Time. So what are some of the interesting new ways in food and beverages that we're finding a way to get a pickup beyond the kind of normal cup of coffee or cup of tea?
2: Well, there's lots of them out there. I'll throw one out. The latest thing that I saw was delivering caffeine via donuts. Hostess Hmm. is delivering a larger version of the donut with the caffeine built in. So I like it from a couple different points of view. First of all, it is now justification to eat a donut (laughs) because I got to have my morning pickup and it pairs with the coffee well. So it's very additive, I think.
3: There you go. Do you worry about dosing? Maybe I'm the negative Nelly. I just think about like, maybe I want the coffee. I like dunking my donut, but now I'm going to have more caffeine Yeah, too much. So that's what I always worry about when you have added caffeine trend. I always just think about from a dosing perspective, if people are, are are thinking
2: that. I'd cut back one cup of coffee. I mean, right now I'm drinking an energy drink and you're right, there is a dosing aspect. Like for instance, this is a slim can. I can't drink the giant 16 or 20 ounce. So yeah, they're probably going to moderate some way.
3: The number one energy drink right now is ZOA. And I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's Dwayne The Rock Johnson's energy drink, uh, Molson who's the, the distributor of that, just kind of announced that. So I, th- that kind of thing is becoming popular. I think it's just interesting how people are jumping on the energy energy bandwagon in general not just energy drink
2: So are you part of the Zoaverse?
3: I am not part of the Zoaverse. I didn't know that was a thing. What what is Zoaverse?
2: I don't know. just being part of the Zoaverse. They, you know, you can get the news on the flavors and the deals. What I think is interesting about it is it's branded as a healthy warrior energy drink.
3: Yep. Well, I think that's his thing. Is
2: he a healthy warrior?
3: Well, I think of his 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 background Uh, more Polynesian and, you know, that kind of thing. And the idea that his, I think his tattoo is on the can. So that's a warrior tattoo. But I mean, you got to admit his branding is probably doing
1: a lot. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds and The Rock, I mean, the two of them together are just amazing. When they brand. Yeah.
2: Energy drinks traditionally haven't been thought of as healthy. So there's like this expansion of energy, caffeine, health.
3: Totally. Coffee for a while there was considered kind of negative in the sense of, you know, it had, it upset people's stomach. And so what you're seeing is either it's caffeine being divorced from coffee into energy drinks or into donuts, which may not be the most healthy thing, or you're getting these very artisan type of coffees. I know someone who has like coffee concentrates called Busy Coffee, and they do coffee concentrates. They do coffee extract type stuff. I think that's just really interesting. It's like, because it's cleaner coffee, and that's a different mindset as well.
2: You know, I look at the energy space and the amount of um, healthful attributes. And a lot of it isn't just the caffeine, right? They're putting B vitamins and all kinds of other things for, you know, that kind of support.
3: So if you can find another way to deliver it, I think that just adds to people's, you know, uh, different delivery system.
2: So, you know, it does kind of get this healthy Halo, this healthy warrior piece that's being built on. And I don't know if they're truly healthy or not, but it's the perception of it, right? Matter of fact, our next guest is all about health and food is medicine. So I think it's a really interesting space because people want energy, but they also want to feel good about that start of the day. I mean, I do think about the fact that a year or two ago, Starbucks did do a vitamin infused coffee. I bought it. I think it had B vitamins in it, but I don't think that that took off for them.
1: All right, our guest coming up, Crystal Register from FMI, the Food Industry Association, is going to talk about health and wellness and food as medicine. Our table discussion with Crystal Register is next. At General Mills, we know it's not just what we make, but how we make it that matters. We take care in selecting the ingredients behind our beloved brands, such as Cheerios, Nature Valley, Old El Paso, Haagen-Dazs, and Annie's. And we go further by working every day to alleviate hunger, slow climate change, and strengthen communities. Today, that's what it means to make food the world loves. Learn more at GeneralMills.com. So Kevin and Susan, I am really excited about our guest today. Uh, you know, we've had conversations since the pandemic about the relationship between food and diet and health. And today we have perhaps one of the most preeminent experts on that topic. Crystal Registers, she leads the health and well-being practice at FMI. She's the director of that practice. Uh, FMI is the Food Industry Association, for those of you not familiar. She serves as the lead coordinator and issue expert for health and well-being programs and activities. She was a retail dietitian with Wegmans for 12 years and made significant contributions to company-wide wellness programs. Her background includes environmental and nutrition science studies with degrees from the College of William & Mary and James Madison University with both clinical and personal coaching experience. Crystal, thank you for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: So you and I had a chance to dive into this topic a bit more in a a research project on behalf of FMI and the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Give us a little background on that and and how do we define food as medicine in the current environment?
4: This is a great place to start. So from published research... We garnered this definition. It's a conceptual definition that actually has four focus areas, and they all connect the role that food plays and nutrition in health, the encouragement of health and well-being. That's been a huge focus, right, through this the pandemic. I want to say, if I had to put a stamp on the this focus area of encouragement of health and well-being, perhaps it's the apple a day. So then the the second piece of the the focus area of this definition of food as medicine gets a little bit deeper into that disease management and treatment. So it's the role that food plays along with prescribed medications and prescribed treatments. And then there's also um, two other parts of the definition. One is the role that food plays in improving nutrition security. And to be quite honest, this is where that terminology, food as medicine, um, is used in public health and in public policy a little bit more. And then that last piece is just the, the opportunity to always promote food safety. So I hope that helps kind of level set the definition. And, you know, FMI said, we believe in this conceptual definition to ground it in science, It's going to help guide food retailers and their industry partners to deliver programs to connect food to health for consumers in practical ways, in responsible ways, and applicable ways.
1: So kind of following up on that, Crystal, you know, shortly after the the pandemic hit, some of our research indicated that the initial reaction was, I'm going to fix that through supplements, right? I'm, I'm going to take something in addition. But what we've seen is an evolution of that back to, I'm going to to help address that through food, uh, whether it's through whole food or through my diet more broadly. And as we think about this, if you look at the demographics, it's really interesting because at, at one end, the boomer end, you've got folks who are looking at this in terms of how am I going to help manage disease and, and longevity? And for those at the millennial and, and Gen Z end, it's about quality of life. Are you seeing that in terms of your, your colleagues? Are you uh, reflecting that in terms of the work they do in stores and the kind of questions they're getting and the, the information they're providing?
4: Perhaps this is more of a focus because everyone was forced initially to shelter in place, right? Cook at home. Um, You know, that cooking piece definitely lends to the eating piece, you know, and when you're shopping differently and cooking differently, you're eating differently. And that's what we saw. So the consumer behaviors have also shifted. And it's it's more than a third of consumers have said, you know what? I, I did make a shift to eating healthier and I plan to continue this. This is part of my lifestyle now consumers um, are prioritizing health and well-being. We know that their behaviors have shifted. And because of that, um, retailers really have met the consumers literally where they are, whether it's in the aisles in-store or online um, in the e-commerce space. We've seen a sharp growth in programs in food retail.
2: You know, it's really interesting because I think we see the same kind of shifts in the consumption data. And I also see it in sales of cookbooks. You know, clearly there is the aspiration and then the reality. Now there are some shifts that have gone on that we see people have increased. Uh, For instance, seafood. I do think that, like you said, there was a lot of navel gazing that went on because we were stuck at home and we were in our kitchens. I think what's interesting is you talk about the retail programs that just speaks to the fact that consumers are really trying to figure this out. And it does have to be highly personalized I'm curious what else, you know, on the manufacturer side, what can they do? Programs are a great place to start at the store, but what are other things in the industry that you think could help?
4: I love that question because I do see the collective effort and there's good work being done by the product suppliers, by the the manufacturers and those retail dietitians. There's also a lot of connection going on with um, partnerships, the opportunity to bundle so much in a meal solution. And I love that you mentioned seafood. I think literally let's go in the grocery store together and, and look at an example based on a seafood meal solution. I got an email from my grocery store that links to a blog post written by the corporate dietitian. Some people might think, like, I'm number one, I didn't know my grocery store had a corporate dietitian, right? And what's what, what are they saying about heart health and immune support? Oh, gosh, you're talking about seafood. But if we're looking at, like, okay, we're in the grocery store, I got a, I got a coupon for a frozen seafood, right? That's the incentive part. So there's different programs that are playing out that we've masterminded, like, okay, these are the programs that when you combine them, there's return on investment and there's improved health outcomes. So, this is where all those dietitian resources come in, and it could be a partnership. And then another big piece is this path to purchase. So, that's what's really gonna change my behavior. It's that cooking video that's showing me, Crystal, you can cook a piece of seafood. Um, just walking me through building that confidence and actually cooking a piece of seafood you know, what's happening to me as a consumer, I trust this grocery store. I'm building my trust and loyalty, right? And helps with that that bigger message.
3: Crystal, I have a question. Um, what consulting do you give to the brand manager that hears food is medicine and then wants to put stuff on label about, you know, immunity and all that kind of stuff, but Knows that, or maybe doesn't know the legality aspect of it, or you know, runs up against that. How do you, you know, temper that tension between what the consumer wants, what the brand manager is hearing the consumer wants, and what needs to go on the label?
4: This is my um, soapbox that I stand on for the value and the role of the registered dietitian. I tell you, early on in the pandemic, we realized. There were some big no-nos going on right out there. So we, um, FMI, we kind of rallied and had outside counsel quickly provide a webinar on immune, especially in that space, immune labeling. So it is um, putting that voice around the strategic planning table and that's where my I'm gonna get back right up there on that soapbox. Like I would encourage anyone to always tap into the knowledge and education experience that a registered dietitian can really bring to that that table.
1: Kevin, at the risk of wandering into your bailiwick, I'm gonna kind of tee this up for Crystal and maybe you'll follow up. But please sir. you know, as you as you think about everything that's happened over the pandemic and the challenges and the stress that everybody has been feeling, you know, indulgence plays a role in well being. And so, so how do we think about that so that people don't come into this conversation? Well, it, you know, it's all oatmeal and kale, and uh, you know, I've had enough oatmeal and kale, so I'm
4: out. Yeah. So uh, that's where, again, I have to tell you, and I, I, I kind of get the sense that the three of you are all foodies a little bit, right? Am I right on Maybe. that? Maybe in our own way. I suppose <laughs> yeah. we all come out of different Likely
3: directions. Different. I, well, we and know. Charlie's the smoke meat yeah,
4: direction. Okay, definitely smoke that's meat. That's right. Okay, some of the most passionate food lovers that I know are registered dieticians. I mean, I went for it last night. I made a great Alton Brown. If you haven't met, tried it yet, go for it. Alton Brown's pork Wellington. It's, oh, wow. it's pork wrapped in prosciutto, Charlie. Sounds perfect. <laughs> but,
1: right up my alley.
2: But Crystal, yeah, to the average American, that's not indulgent. Okay,
4: but it, uh, I guess that's true. That's true. <laughs> we had cupcakes. It was somebody's birthday. Okay, cupcakes.
1: But did you use meat as a condiment on the cupcake?
4: <laughs> you didn't put bacon on your cupcake. We've
1: also had some debate about whether kale is actually a foodstuff.
4: I do know dietitians that don't talk nicely about kale too. So there's that balance. Everybody comes at it from a different way. But I think it the healthy approach to food is is honoring and respecting that food plays so many roles. It plays a social role. It plays a a comfort role. You know, it's a a huge part of our lives. And this is part of what a dietitian would tell you. There's no bad foods and there's no good foods. It's all the way you put them together. And that's another great reason, you know, to have that registered dietitian on board because it it opens the door, right? Instead of closing the door. There's nothing, I mean, when I worked in the retail space, I love that part of it. I'm like, we are literally working in the, the giant vending machine of choice, if you will. And it's just a matter of what button you push. Just make sure you're getting your vegetables and your whole grains and your seafood and and then really putting your feet up and enjoying the cupcake. Well, I think it's like one of the top
2: reasons that people reward themselves for eating fruits and vegetables with indulgent items, right? It's that permissibility and that balancing. The problem is, is when you eat the whole container of Oreos and you only ate an apple.
4: Then you, you know, you get up and... <laughs> start the next day.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's not from real experience. No, of course not. Okay. I, that, that never happened. Hypothetically. <laughs> but
3: I think that's a good point though, is like, can the enjoyment of cookies be a wellness experience? We never think about that, or at least we never talk about that, but I mean, it could be, again, with moderation, it could be a wellness experience.
4: Absolutely. And, and speaking of emails that you get, from your grocery store just last week, the registered dietitians from my favorite grocery store showed up in my email with a blog post about mindfulness, mm. and that's what that's about. Recognizing kind of why am I having this? Am I having this because I just want it, you know, or because I, I think I want to? I want to do something good for my heart today, or I want to do you know, you can do these things all day, every day. You get and it's that balance. Something's good for my heart. Something that's good for my soul, um,
3: and I don't know how you feel about that. But just the different pieces, because I always think of the way that we think about health as very much, uh, like you said, heart health, gut health, all that kind of stuff. Whereas wellness seems much more holistic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we're moving to that direction, or if you've seen that moved within, you know, retail or within uh, CPG.
4: Absolutely. I mean, I just think about everything can fall in that bucket. That broad spectrum. And I think that's where we we found through the the pandemic here that we've really been talking about like the evolution of the grocery store as a destination for health and well-being because you, you actually can get at quite a lot of that what's going into the health and well-being bucket at, literally at the grocery store.
1: I'd like, I mean, you've, you've lived this, right? This has been your entire professional career. So I'd like for you to look in your crystal ball, pun intended.
4: Crystal with a K ball. <laughs> with, a,
1: with a K, yeah. Chris, Crystal with a K. And give us a little forecast. I mean, what does the future of this look
4: like? Yeah, so I'm a big thinker on this one. What I just talked about with the, the grocery store really evolving as a destination for health and well-being, it's a very accessible place. That door opens and there's access most people go to the grocery store one or two times a week. Most people go to see their physician once a year. That's where I would love to see us two, three years from now is this shift in the healthcare paradigm really focused on prevention. It's this little bit of outreach from that grocery store as a destination, but also how are we connecting the healthcare in the community? So it's looking at the whole healthcare ecosystem. So maybe you're doctor is going to send you to the grocery store to meet one-on-one with the registered dietitian there who's going to help you build your shopping list right and going to check back next week when you say you know what my family does not like the kale crystal Um, we're gonna have to try something else and that's that's good let's go check a different aisle for a different solution to help you get more vegetables and yeah let's put you know an indulgent treat in here that, that you feel good about this kind of thing connecting back. Maybe we're going to get some biometric data. We can take your blood pressure right there in the right in the grocery store. We can talk about other things going on. And then we can close the loop by talking back with your physician who sent you to the grocery store in the first place. I don't know if I'm dreaming, but this paradigm shift to prevention and the enjoyment of food and just the access that the grocery store provides, I think is is just a win-win situation. That's very cool. Very cool.
2: It does seem like a very cool dream.
3: I think the the pandemic was definitely a a kick in the pants to be, you could be doing more because for a lot of people, the grocery store was the only place that you've really gone out for the last two years. Um, So I think there's a really a lot of innovation to do there.
1: Yeah.
2: And I think it's really going to be interesting too, how something like this would roll out and are we able to do it with equity? And in fact, can we reach the people who probably may benefit the most? but what an amazing thing if we could do this.
3: Wellness and everything else we've been talking about also flows through the social. To your point about people not visiting the doctor more than once a year, if that, how often are they looking at a a grocery app? That is an interesting aperture in to influencing their health and wellness.
4: I, I'm just so impressed with some of the tools that are coming out. The Shop Simple app really helps connect SNAP beneficiaries with where they can shop online and connecting to the dietary guidelines in just a just a really mindful way. That's awesome.
1: Crystal, thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise. It always goes very, very quickly, but um, big fan of the work you do and, and all the things that happen at FMI. Thank you. She was really good. It takes me back to.
3: Uh, some research I've seen, and Susan, you probably have seen this too, which about the idea that uh, most people, when they're making a meal at the end of the evening, they're not really that interested in the cooking part of it. they're more interested in getting that finished so that they can play with their kids or be with their kids and find out what happened. and that's wellness you know, that's wellness. Getting food yeah. on the table is like, I need to get the nutrition on the table. But really, I want the family togetherness, the the connection. That's the wellness piece. That's the healthy part of the dinner as much as the nutritious part of the food.
2: Yeah, the gathering piece. And, you know, during the pandemic, we reclaimed a lot of that time because we weren't doing all the extracurricular. <laughs> we weren't leaving our home, right? So families reclaimed that time. Dinner always has had that communal benefit to it. For some people, though, that love is also an expression is through the actual preparation of the food. But you're right. For most Americans, it's about getting it on the table so they can get to that gathering with their family.
1: And I really like the holistic way she talked about it in terms of the role that food plays in culture and how it ties everything together. Yes, and to think about food as medicine and, and well-being more holistically than a restrictive diet. Because I think too frequently when people hear about food as medicine, well, here's the list of things that you shouldn't eat, and here's the things you should eat, right? It's the good-bad list. And she was very clear in saying, right, there's no good food, there's no bad food. It's about putting together a, a holistic approach to what's going to be best for you and best for your family.
3: I also think it's interesting, like, you know, with the you know increase in delivery and takeout and what everything grocery stores is, are doing now— You know, we're definitely seeing the individualization of dinner. You know, everyone wants their own thing at dinner and all that kind of stuff. And so there's an interesting aspect of like what defines that holisticness now versus maybe in the past when it comes to food.
2: Yeah, I think that it goes to this idea that everybody has their own concept of what's best for them, for their well-being. I mean, we've talked about this before, right? The number one diet is my own diet. It's four to five times at least larger than keto or anything else out there. What we want to do is determine this information, which I think the program she's talking about through grocery is brilliant because it gives people guidance, but it lets them determine what it is going to be for them with some actual science behind it, some balance.
3: I will predict, though, there'll be some tension It'll increase the tension with CPG and retailer. You know, there's a, there's definitely a frenemy, and I say that to all of our audience that are both retailer and CPG, of that experience of who's who's helping own that right. uh, that relationship, right? Because as right. as as either side gets more of that relationship of being the wellness conduit, so to speak, who's the bigger voice, who can provide? And of course, there could be a, a good medium, but you know, there's going to be some tension, which will be interesting to see how it goes. Saying this is a better choice than this is a better
1: choice, that starts getting into oh, some that's, some places. <laughs> that's going to be murky. Yeah, but that, te- that, that tension is a good thing for consumers, right? Because it's going to drive additional... Oh, for consumers, it's good. Yeah, absolutely, because it's going to drive improvement. I mean, that, that tension and competition clearly will, will drive innovation. Yes, but when you have apps now that
3: are, some of them are retailer-owned, that are basically putting a filter yep. on what you... You know what you're buying. That that becomes uh, problematic. problematic. Yes, that's problematic.
2: It could be an interesting power shift in the dynamic. Yes,
3: yes. And wellness could be one of those those additional pieces that is shifting that dynamic. So more to come.
1: All right, taking a look at the Three Squares Inbox, this is where we empty out all the arcane trivia, and now you can deal with it. This episode, Dan, a Dodgers fan from LA, is writing. It's the beginning of baseball season. He loves to get a good dog at the ballpark, but he says, hey, I love my dog at the ballpark, but when I go to the store, I pick up a package of hot dogs that has 10 and a package of buns that has eight. What's up? Is it a conspiracy or just bad planning? Kevin, what's up? The dogs and the buns don't match. Right, they
3: don't. This is a rabbit hole. Because if you think about it, it's not just dogs and buns. You start thinking about why do we package anything in anything in the amounts we have. So eggs, butter, all that kind of stuff. But dogs, like why are hot dogs the way they are? Well, first off, Oscar Mayer, because they're the number one, probably is the the one to go to to see why would this be. And it mostly has to do with how meat was sold. The idea that meat was sold by the pound... And how many dogs were in a pound was it roughly 10, because each hot dog is about 1.6 ounces. So that gives you about 10 dogs per pound. So that's how it was, because meat was just sold per pound. But buns, buns were not sold by pound. It was more having to do with how the machine was hmm. that made the buns. The buns were made usually in trays that were based on force. That's just the way that they were. You get two sets of four, so you get eight. And because there's no really reason for either of them to, um, you know, to, to cooperate, so to speak, no one's budged.
1: Well, except they come together in our ho- in our houses,
3: right? I mean, you want your dogs and your buns to match. You want them to, but there doesn't seem to be consumer anger about this enough to get either side to move. There was, for a while there, I believe Oscar Mayer started to try to kind of sell eight and then people, I think, got upset. They're like, "Where's the other two dogs?" You know. So, so I, I think it's just that it's historical misalignment having to do with like amongst either the weight or the machines, and they've never had to to go there. Now, for reference, in the UK, dogs come in cans. That's gross. I don't know if you've ever seen this. If you've ever been in the UK. They come in eights, oh. and then buns come in packs of six. I've seen this; <laughs> it's equally as strange, and they equally don't talk about it like it's a big deal. So it's just something that it is. And like I said, it's like butter and eggs; no one thinks about that either.
2: Because chickens lay them in multiples of twelve. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's actually that's actually a good thought, but no, it actually has to do with English units. So the idea being that back in you know old English days, you could buy one egg for a penny. Uh, And there were 12 pennies in a shilling. So if you wanted one egg, one penny. If you wanted a dozen, you just give a shilling.
1: So it was more, uh, it was easier. And we inherited that. And we've never looked back. Well, if you would like to sign the petition so we can begin a campaign to to align your buns and your dogs, uh, <laughs> you can reach out to us at three squares mail. The number three squares mail at gmail dot com, and we will begin the campaign to get the buns and the dogs to align so we have equal numbers when we start our hot dogs and uh, on our hot dog picnics coming up this summer.
3: Before we go, a quick thanks again to General Mills for their support of this podcast. And if you like where this discussion is going and want to support the show, drop us a line. That's threesquaresmail at gmail.com. The number, threesquaresmail at gmail.com.
2: Three Squares Dishing on the Food Industry is created and hosted by Charlie Arna, Susan Schwally, and Kevin Ryan. Thanks to Crystal Register for joining us on our table discussion this week. Thanks to our producers, Dave Beesing and Jason Jackson at Sound That Brands, and thanks to you for listening. Food is our passion, and we are glad it's yours too. We'll set the table again soon on Three
1: Squares.